0: Thank you so much, Deacon Brian, for leading us in service, and also Christy and the team for leading us in songs. A very good morning to one and all. It's good to see all of you here, and we want to welcome folks who join us for the first time. So to keep you up to speed, especially for those who are new, we have been doing the series of studies and sermons from the Book of Romans, and today we will be reading from Romans 8. So let's begin our time by considering this situation. Now imagine if you have led a pretty colorful life, a pretty colorful life of drinking, of partying, and one day you have been told by your doctor that your livers and your kidneys are failing. You then go on for months of medication and painful dialysis, and how would you have changed your life? or lifestyle now before we find out the answer to the question allow me to set in context how we come to this point the epistle of romans is written by apostle paul now he began paul the apostle began this magnificent letter by reminding his readers of the gospel that he is not ashamed of it because it is the power of god for salvation of everyone who believes Then Paul expanded on why we need the Gospel, and in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 3.20, he examined how there is no one righteous, not even one, meaning all have sinned and fall short of God's holy standard. And since all have fallen short, then in 3.21 following, he brings in the wonder and provision of the of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, who expanded on the doctrine of justification. Faith has always been the way sinners are made right with God, never good works, and declared righteous as example by Abraham, and also uttered by David in chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, he talks about the Adam and Christ parallel, that we are no longer in Adam, But we are in Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, to newness of life. In chapter 6, from having considered what we were, Paul now wants us to appreciate who we are in Jesus Christ, and we are a new creation in union and communion with Jesus Christ. In chapter 7, Paul expands upon the realities that even though we are in Christ, the sinful nature in us remains. Although sin no longer rules and reigns in our life, yet a powerful force to be reckoned with. Do you all remember all the chapters or not? No, right? After one week of break, let's carnival all through. Anyway, it's a good reminder for all of us. And however, the chapter 7 ends with, The good that we would, we do not, and the evil that we would not, that I find I do. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Seems like there is no hope for us, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by the time we reach chapter 8 today, Paul explains on what it means to us when we are delivered. By the purposes and promises of God in Jesus Christ, and also to answer how to live given a new lease of life. And because this long passage, I would just mention the salient points as I reflect, and the outline could possibly look like this. Theres now yeah. new life from uh, chapter eight, verse 1 to 17, new hope from verses 18 to 30 and then new confidence. Uh, from verses 31 to 39. So allow me to read the first part, the 17 verses for us, okay? Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son, in the likeness of sinful men to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful men, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful men is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, So we notice it begins with, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Now when we hear that, how sweet does that sound to you, to your ears, if already you are considered condemned and dead because of our sinful nature. Because by nature we are condemned. We have broken God's law and fall short of God's glory. And the problem lies with us, not the law. The law thus far, We have been told is an exposition of the character of God. It is pure and it is holy. So Martin Luther, the German theologian who initiated the Protestant Reformation, next slide, in the 16th century. Now he once asked himself, says, "Oh, when for once shall I become holy and do enough in order to receive the grace of God?" So notice. Martin Luther, he was a pious monk. He kept the duty of his order so strictly that he believed that if ever a monk got to heaven, it will be him. That is because he was under the penitential preaching that placed heavy burden of guilt upon the hearer from the curse of the law. It was thought that the wrath of God can only be propitiated by man's good work. By holy living. So his picture of God was that of an angry judge. He understood nothing of the grace and mercy of God for sinners. And because of our sinful nature and inability to keep the law, the law cannot justify us. But what the law cannot do and what you and I cannot do, God the Father did. How? by sending his own son, to be condemned in the flesh for sin, that the requirements of the law is either fulfilled in the new life of a believer, based on Christ's work, or it may refer to the full payment or full penalty of the law that has been met at the cross. Therefore, the condemnation that the law brought, no longer applies to Christians. And the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And by the way, the spirit here is mentioned 18 times with different expression throughout this passage. If you have not read with notice and read with care the first four verses of the passage carefully, you would notice that the gospel is totally what is totally Trinitarian. It tells us of what the Father does, of what the Holy Spirit does, and of what the Lord Jesus does. It is very important for us to understand that it took the whole of God to save us and free us from sin and death. And therefore, we can have a new life now without condemnation. You can close the slides for me. Thank you. It's just like during COVID. We are very fortunate. We are very blessed with the government who actually, through the foreign, foreign affairs ministry, wanting to send planes and bring Singaporeans back so that they've been protected. So imagine, imagine God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the whole of God comes down to rescue us from sin and death. I don't know whether you feel awed by that. We should, rightly. Who, who, Who am I that God, the Creator God, the Maker of mankind, would consider even to rescue us? So Martin Luther, a pious monk, his real conversion comes when he <coughs> <coughs> sorry <coughs> when he lectured from this book of Romans, when uh, the words from Romans chapter 1 verse 17 actually spoke to him. And what does Romans chapter 1 verse 17 say? For indeed the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Then he realized his understanding of God and his word all along had been wrong. This freedom that we now have is by no means a license for us to go wayward. And then what it is for? Paul is hinting at verse 4 that God saved us by the work of Christ in order that we live according to the Spirit and not according to the sinful nature. What is the difference between live according to the sinful nature and live according to the spirit? Next slide. We can see that those who live according to the sinful nature has their mindset on sinful desires. And sinful desires are hostile to God. They do not submit to God's law, nor can they do so. They cannot serve God nor please God, and this person is dead in trespasses and in sins. Only a sovereign God can bring that person out of a state of death into a state of life. We who have been made righteous are those who live according to the spirit. We should have our minds set on what the spirit desires, and such minds leads to life and peace. Now set the mind on the spirit in Greek, next slide. It's Phronimato Numatos. In Greek it means, not just mind, but also attitude. It is the frame and disposition, a posture of our mind. And to say that we have a pronema of the Spirit, is to say that the Spirit is shaping our mind attitude set according to its own. Meaning to say, it exalts Christ, and values god and cherishes the word of god and sees peoples and things with a relentless god consciousness and just an extrapolation of this <clears throat> now if this is true of our understanding of attitude and posture of god and things that matters to god <clears throat> will you not agree with me that last saturday Day carnival was God favoured from the attendance of the President of Singapore to, as you have heard, to an estimated 7,000 folks that came by, along with the willing participation of (coughs) the hawkers with the help of 1,500 of our folks who man, who serve, who entertain, at the 45 stalls of food, drinks and games to our banished fisheries, and not forgetting the fine weather. Which the passing showers actually cool down the heat. Do you realize that? Shouldn't we ought to give thanks to God? We should, right? Amen. Because we are blessed by God to bless others. From to numatos, mind, attitude, glorifying God in words, in actions, and in attitude. But if we have the mind of flesh, what do you think would be the likely response? So troublesome, so tiring, so hot, so long, so crowded, so waste of time, and so sotong standing here. You never hear the end of it when one has or one puts on the mind of flesh. So may I remind you, that now you and I are no longer condemned meaning we have new life in the spirit live like one according to the spirit can boleh mudiamah raja mudiamah mudiamah so for Paul there is no in between either you have the spirit and is therefore a Christian or you do not have the spirit and not a Christian If we are Christian, we are alive even when our body is subjected to death because of sin. The indwelling of the Spirit not only liberated us from the bondage to evil, but also finds a new power within. A power that causes the defeat of sin and leads us into ways of goodness and love. Meaning, you have a choice now. Not that you cannot make a godly choice. You can have And you can make a godly choice. Where previously, perhaps you find it a challenge, or maybe you're just too indifferent. Don't have the rights and wrongs. No moral compass. No spiritual compass. But now, we have. You have. I have. And more than that, we are given the firm assurance that we are adopted as God's children forever. And we can cry out to God Abba, Father. A very intimate term, just as Jesus did at Gethsemane. And This adoption of sonship into God's family means we are co-heir with Christ. Being co-heirs with Him means we share everything with Him, both in His sufferings and the glory. And so we have a new life with new status as children of God. What does it mean to us? And it brings us to the next portion from verses 18 to 30 about new hope. Now if you have the habit of reading the newspaper early in the morning, or maybe in the afternoon, or maybe any part of the time of the day, what do you notice? You would notice, I believe, to 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 read bad news, Right? You're bound to read bad news, be it in politics, economics, sports, or even entertainment. And the recent upcoming presidential election, you hear a lot of things being said. No wonder there is a saying that no news is actually good news. Now, even in our daily life, we may be in a job that gives you no satisfaction, but you need to pay your bills. You work hard to save for retirement but a recession might wipe out your savings. You worked hard to stay healthy, but you may come down with illness, diseases, disasters and death, the sufferings of the present time, the suffering of human beings and even the suffering of animals in cruelty. We are blessed to live in this country where we are not subjected to natural disasters, but when COVID-19 hit, Many have lost their lives, many have lost loved ones, many have lost jobs. Now just be clear, just because we are now children of God, we are not spared from suffering. However, the suffering that we go through now is with a greater purpose, because it leads to the glory of the age to come. Not only us as Christians, even creation is longing for redemption. Creation is subjected to frustration or futility. Creation is in bondage to decay. Creation is in birth pants. Because we live in this fallen world, we suffer, we will suffer. It has been like that since the fall in Genesis 3. God subjected it to curse and futility. But when Paul say, I consider, in verse 18, he is actually expressing a firm conviction reached by this thought of the Gospel that our present suffering, the now and continuing, painful as they are, are not worth comparing with the glory, the not yet, that will be revealed in us. Yes, all the sufferings are real, but in the midst of the sufferings, we do not throw our hands up and say, what's the point? Or grudgingly say, it's unfair, why me? Or do we dive into a black hole or downward spiral? Instead, I just want to remind you and encourage myself. We looked up. We looked up to Jesus. He sits at the right hand of God. We are co-heirs with Him. We share in His glory. This glory that is promised is the future glorious one. Resurrected bodies in the new creation. So in verse 23, it says we have the first fruit of the Spirit. First fruit is the guarantee of a greater crop that is to follow of a harvest, isn't it? That is the promise to us for what is to come. And that is why we have hope. Not in the sense of I hope so, meaning I am not sure, but I like to think that this is true, but hope in the sense of, absolute certainty and confidence and assurance that we will be glorified and that creation will be reborn. Amen. That is the hope that we have. In the same way, we can also be assured that even in times where we do not know what to do, what to pray, God's Word tells us that the Spirit will help us by interceding for us according to God's will. You may say easier than than done, especially when we are going through trials and tribulations. But look at verse 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. You know what the Bible commentator John Stott likened this verse to be? He likened this verse to be a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. Now, here is the story of a genocide survivor. Next slide. This genocide survivor, his, whose name is Pacific Mukaseti from Rwanda. Now, she was brought up in a Christian family whereby her father was a pastor. When she was seven, her father was killed along with his five siblings her uncles, during the genocide between the Hutus and the Tutsis. For years, being a genocide survivor was a huge burden for her. As she noticed the cemetery was filled with bodies of pastors, dead pastors, she felt God was not fair. She said, these are the pastors, these are the people who serve you with all their lives. Why didn't you protect them, God? They leave behind children who are so poor and uneducated. But Later, she moved to Singapore with her husband, and in 2021, not too long ago, a few years back, she enrolled in a Bible school, and one evening when she was working on one of the assignments, she finally felt the trauma, the sorrow, the anger, the hate she had been caring for almost three decades, leaving her. And Pacific said, Jesus overcoming death helps me to overcome my struggles and show radical forgiveness. So basically, this passage division, which is all about suffering, And why is there suffering? And why suffering is a good thing is because we have a different perspective to the present suffering because of the future glory of hope. Which in our present circumstance, God is achieving for us to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, and in the conformity we can enjoy both the community of the family here and the preeminence of the firstborn and who is the firstborn of us none other than Jesus Christ our savior and our lord therefore if you and i are inside the promise there is hope certain hope solid hope lasting hope a new hope and which we will then move on to the third and final point, our new confidence. See, when our parents tell us not to do something or to do something, what do you think they are trying to tell us? Now that I'm a father myself, I can safely say that 100% of the time, we want to spare our children from danger, right? They do not want us to go down the wrong path because they they have life experience, They do not want us to waste our time on something perhaps meaningless or purposeless. They want the best for their children. And here, how assuring it is that God is for us. He wants the best for us, His children. And how He does that is by not sparing His own Son. God gave Jesus up to death for the wages of sin is death. But the son is without sin. He did not violate the law. He did not fall short. But God gave him up for you, for me, in your place, in my place. If it pains us so much to lose someone we love, how much do you think it grieves God? to give up his own son, own, one and only son. But he did it for us. If he can painstakingly give up his one and only son by his grace to justify us through faith, will he hold back anything else from us? Ponder that a little bit deeper. The all things mentioned in verse 32 does not mean a car. A big house, a promotion, not a pot of gold. Why did God give up His own son? So that His righteous draw can be a peace. So that you and I can be in the right standing with Him. That is more important. And God's ultimate purpose is to bring us back to Him, glorifying us. So will He not give us all things, everything, to achieve His ultimate purpose? And Paul here asks four questions from verses 31 to 35. He's not asking what, why, where. The how is already being mentioned. He's asking who. Who can be against us? Who do you think this who is? Who? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the ruler of the darkness of this world. Satan may bring charges against God's elect, or maybe even our own conscience may condemn us. But those who have come to faith in Christ will never be found guilty because we have been declared righteous by God Himself. Isn't that comforting and reassuring? For I know you, as well as I, have at point in time of our faith journey struggled to Struggle to believe whether our salvation is sure and certain or not, right? For some things that you said that is wrong, for some things that you have done that is wrong, for something that you think that is really wrong, or maybe continuing to do so. But let me assure you, your struggle is well founded. Good to struggle that way because then you know the Spirit is living in you, fighting against all that is evil and wicked and sinful in us. So anyone who is not struggling, raise your hands or hands down. Then I'll be be very concerned if you say, hey, i got no struggle at all. Yeah, right. you got no struggle. Then you be very, very careful and be very, very mindful. You may not have that spirit to struggle, to make you struggle for things that are godly, for things that are morally right. So to me, This last bit is very, very reassuring, comforting. For I know and I admit and I confess, I struggle a lot. Quite a few times I wanted to to give up. Give up for what? For all the wrong reasons. For all the selfish reasons. But I thank God, this word that I have prepared and just two days, Two nights ago, I was preaching, in using this passage to preach in, uh, in uh, Elder Calvin's uh, dad-in-law's uh, wake service. I was not only reminded, I was reassured again of the promise of certainty and surety of my salvation. Now, Paul begins the chapter with no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Christians may rejoice the certainty that we will never be condemned, because Jesus has paid paid it all. He has been raised, fully glorified, sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. In other words, Paul is saying that God's determination to save those he foreknew cannot and will not be thwarted. In verses 31-34, to Paul is teaching us not to be afraid, of the baffling circumstances that touch our lives and which easily produces fear, produces doubt and also insecurity. And because of this assurance, in its grand conclusion, Paul is convinced, as he is wanting us to be convinced, and not only convinced but also to be confident That nothing, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future, not powers, not height, not death, not anything else in all creation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? It's very comforting, I tell you. Very. So don't let any doubt seep into it. Don't let... The devil have a foothold when you are at the lowest, or even when you think you are okay. So no one who is too good, no one who is too bad, can be saved by Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean for us? In closing, it means security. Gospel security. Covenant love that God will not let you go. God will be there for us through thick or thin. This security, this love that first comes in the form of a new life. A new life with no condemnation. If God does not condemn us on the of the work of Jesus, please stop your self-condemnation. Please stop your self-victimizing. Please stop getting angry, emotionally affected, if someone else condemns you. And in this new life, we have been given the gift of the Spirit that frees us from the law of sin and death. So walk, brothers and sisters, walk in the Spirit and not let our wants, our pride, our weaknesses to overwhelm us. Second, a new hope. God worked all things for the good of those who loved Him. Yes, He may put us in trials and suffering, but understand that this does not speak of God's rejection. Rather, everything that happened, is happening, and will happen, are ultimately under God's sovereign control for our good. So suffering should not drive us away from God but help us to identify with Him and draw us closer to Him. Fix our eyes, our mind, our heart on God. And that is to glorify us just as He has glorified His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So cling on, so hang on, so persevere on, no matter what circumstances that we are in. And lastly new confidence know the extent of God's love for you and I that he gave us all in order that we are justified and to be glorified he gave it all for us he will not withhold anything you need to live for him he will not take back the gift of salvation even as we feel from time to time. We can be absolutely certain, absolutely confident, that we will ne- He will never let us go. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so as we depart, and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us at the cross. So our old man and our old woman, not as in age, but as in our sinful man and sinful past that is in us, that is diagnosed with terminal illness, is now given a new life, a new hope, and a new confidence. And so as we go about our class, our work, our appointments, our relationship with one another, you look to God and you trust Him alone and say this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now it's a long passage and if I have lost you in between, here is an acronym for you to remember, perhaps it will be helpful, NEWNESS, new life with no condemnation, empowered by the Holy Spirit, works of sanctification, new hope and confidence as children or child of God, entrust our life to God's purposes, seek God daily, saved and secure in Christ Jesus.